When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to the Roker Report podcast in association with Sunderland Community Soup Kitchen. My name's Philip West and after what's been quite a turbulent week for Sunderland off the field in the wake of promotion, we thought we'd sit down, record a podcast, have a chat about what's happened. There's quite a lot to discuss and to do this I'm joined by Rich Spade. How are you this morning Rich? I'm alright, yeah I've had one coffee, I've got my second one in my hand so yeah I'm alright. Excellent, fantastic and we're also joined this morning from Australia by Martin Wanless, how are you this morning Martin? I'm pretty good, thank you Phil, I've um, I had a pub lunch this afternoon, had a couple of beers so yeah, I've had a couple of beers whereas Rich has had one coffee so yeah, <laughs> I am good. Excellent, there's only one place to start this week's podcast and it's with the ongoing rumours of crypto investment in Sunderland AFC. Obviously, the name Fans Together didn't mean much to many people before last week, but then they emerged from the shadows and everything started to become, well, not particularly clear, but there was a lot of information. And really, just starting with you, Rich, you've really led the way on this in terms of Roker Report with your two podcasts with Tom White and with Martin Calladine and James Cave. Having had some time to digest it and obviously dig through all the information, is this something that we as fans should be unequivocally standing against? Yeah. Um, unequivocally, <laughs> I'm not going to equivocate on it. Yeah, the the thing that again I would reiterate is that there there is going to be some money behind this bid. There must be for it to have got where it is now. Some people think that it's it's a complete red herring, and I can completely understand that in terms of what the motivation behind say Charlie Meth and speaking to the Athletic is, how some of the, the kind of rumors started. That's a, that's another matter altogether, but the fact that the EFL are, are even looking at it means that it truly has some substance behind it. Now, where that money comes from, that's the the big outstanding question. Martin and James told me, um, it, was, it wasn't on the pod, but I spoke to them earlier in the week as well, and they said that TFT reserve... I think 7% of their DAO, their Decentralised Autonomous Organisation for Venture Capital. And I think it was 12% of it for themselves. Um, I may may be wrong on that figure, but they're not willing to talk to anyone as yet. I got in touch with them to open a conversation. What What I won't do is give them a platform until they answer some key questions and the source of the funds... Who, who would be in control of of those shares ultimately? Because it wouldn't be the, the DAO because they haven't put the crypto tokens out to the public yet. Um, that would sit behind it. So 
who would be in control, I think, or in control of those shares, sorry, because they wouldn't be in control of the club, is the question that unless they're willing to or able to answer, the uh, conversation won't go much further than that. I know that in their white paper they talk about the fact that they want to work with existing supporters' trusts. I know that they haven't been in touch with Red and White Army as yet, which is interesting given their commitment to fan engagement and fan ownership, that they haven't even tried to open a dialogue with the uh, the supporters' trust. Uh, because what we were were expecting on the back of this story coming out was some sort of publicity drive or you know engagement process from them and i've gone back uh, somebody kindly posted underneath one of our podcasts a link to the press conference that simon wentworth or mycock depending on which name he goes by yes. did at episcopi the the team they own in greece and well, I mean, amateurish would be a, 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 I think, generous description of it, and everyone seemed very on edge and very cautious and very kind of sanguine for a press conference announcing a supposedly, you know, a big deal and a new manager. Everyone was quite downbeat. I, you know, I, I probably know as much as anyone, and I don't know really what's going on behind the scenes. All I can say is that it's up to fans really to make sure the EFL knows unequivocally where we stand. And one of the encouraging things actually has been the 99.9% unanimity uh, of the fan base in reaction to even the concept of this. And I, and I do as well, one thing I would say is I do understand people saying, don't give this oxygen, don't give these people a platform. I completely and utterly get that. I teach people about disinformation a lot of the time at work and and one of the things to say is don't give it oxygen you know just ignore it post something positive post something that kind of contributes something to the conversation but sometimes you've got to post a warning and what we've tried to do on this Davey and I uh, working together on it really hard to ensure that we know the detail and the technicalities of what this is you know we've just tried to ensure that we can give fans all of the the relevant information that they can make an informed view on the situation. But it's certainly not a positive, and I can't see any positives in this um, particular move. We can go on and discuss kind of why this might be happening, you know, uh, and that would be interesting to get your perspectives on. There's people who haven't quite been as close to it, but from my perspective, it's entirely about ensuring that my fellow fans really can take a view on this that isn't just kind of a reactive oh it's crypto it must be nonsense it is crypto it's actually not crypto (laughs) that's the that's the weird thing it's not crypto it's not nonsense it is dangerous and that that would be my my message really just throwing it to you martin on the back of that obviously you've been kind of watching this from afar as as it's unfolded over the past week or so and since we, since we obviously in the four years we were in League One, we were often linked with various takeovers. There was the Dell Group, there was Mark Campbell, there was obviously William Story who's been lingering around. Does it feel to you as though four years in League One have kind of turned us into something of a basket case of a club in the eyes of people from outside? Are we seen as an easy target for these kind of dodgy potential ownership models, do you think? I... It's a difficult one to answer. That. I I don't think so. Is my gut instinct? I think you know if if you if you go back 
four years, you know, I think you know we'd all be um, critical of, of the way that the club's been run over the past um, four years. But the the intention from the outset was was clear that Donald and Methven were going to come in, try to get investment from elsewhere, obviously in the shape of Sartori. And I think it's always been an open door um, over the past four years, rather than being seen as a basket case and an opportunity for um, some some crazy ideas or crazy investment. And you know, as you rightly point out, we, we've seen some some interest from people like Mark Campbell, which you know, there for the grace of God, we went. And the Dell thing, which you know, some people were incredibly well behind because it's on paper it sounded fantastic but we look at what msd have done at other clubs and you go shit well thank god we didn't go down that path as well so i think we've had an open door for for owners and i think it's always been the the case that we were open to investment open to take over and obviously for the past what 18 months um kira louis dreyfus has had what turns out to be a majority shareholding, but not quite a majority shareholding. And I think, to be fair, we, we've actually got a bit of stability off the field. Since then, we haven't been a club that's been primed to be to be flogged. We've put infrastructure in. We've had somebody in charge who, who's looking long-term and has a long-term plan. But we've all, always had the side issue of, of Donald Methvin's shares. And you know, until February, we didn't know quite um, what the extent of that, that shareholding was, did we? So I think it was always going to be the case that this summer, regardless of whether we we went up or or stayed in League One, we were going to see movement there. Now, you know, the cynical part of me, after what we've been through over the past four seasons, thinks, you know, this is actually just a a red herring. This is just smoke over there to make us look over there while something else is going on. Because you, you can't fathom how this could happen you know how how this could get through the afl and look i I know that tom white told rich in one of the pods and for anybody who who hasn't listened to to rich's um conversation with tom white or with with martin and james this week i i do urge you to go back and listen to them because there's so much information like i i knew nothing about it bar what i'd read in the press and on on social media until i listened to them and i feel i've I've got a much um, better grasp of of what's going on. So Rich, I think you did a great job with, with them not blowing smoke if you're yes. or anything, but I think you know, you did a great job with both of those. But you know, we've only got Tom's word for the fact that it's gone to the EFL or he understands it's gone to the EFL. Mm. Now, Tom, you know, we've had Tom on the pod a number of times. Tom's a great bloke, huge fan of, of Sunderland, as well as a, a professional journal. So we've got to take that at face value. You know, he understands it's gone to the EFL. We've had no confirmation of that. Now, when we, we had the takeover with um, Kira Louis-Dreyfus, there was a statement on the website from, from the club saying this is in the process, this has gone to the EFL, and we had some confirmation of, of that, didn't we? And we, we haven't had that. So you, you kind of wonder how much is actually in this. And Rich, as you say, look, if, if it has gone to the EFL, there's been proof of funds, there's been talk of private equity companies backing it, venture capitalist companies backing it. So there must be some money there to get it to that point. But... You know, I think categorically, we cannot and should not and never should be the platform for experimentation at that ownership level. Mm-hmm. And, you know, regardless of whether this is a good, bad or indifferent proposition, and obviously there's huge question marks around it, we are not the club. We should not be the club. We cannot let ourselves be the club to be a platform for experimentation. And, you know, we could look back on this and go, you know what, 
that was actually the worst thing that ever happened because this this thing's took off and it's been brilliant over here. Maybe. We don't know. We can't see it in the future. But let them experiment in non-league. Let them experiment in the Greek second division. Let them get that model up and running. And in five years' time, brilliant. Look, if it's successful, we could entertain it. But at the minute, we cannot. it cannot happen because it is so unproven and we would be taking a massive risk when it feels as if we are just starting to get the semblance of a solid club back. Yeah, sorry, I knew, sorry you raised your hand there, Rich. I know you wanted to add something to what Martin was saying well, there. It, it was just to go back to the people who currently own the shares and to, to emphasise, I know I did say in the previous pods, but to emphasise the fact that they said when we put the statement out back at, God, was it 2019? Um, you know, after the Boxing Day game, it was, and uh, in early 2020, saying they'll sell their sell up to responsible custodians, and I think that's the thing we need to keep holding them to, because whether or not this is there's actually something in this, and obviously Metfin has talked to the Athletic and said, yeah, this is accepted. We want it to go through as quickly as possible. That is a completely and utterly irresponsible way of discarding of, of a large proportion of a, of a major football club. I think it's disgraceful, to be frank, that somebody who purported to be a, a responsible custodian of our club in the past has taught the talk in terms of what we are as, a, as an institution would even countenance something like this because it's taken me a week and a bit to, to kind of get a really full grasp of this. But I, I was already aware of who the fans together were from just from Martin and James's work at the beginning of the year. Anyone who keeps a really close eye on, on the whole crypto world and on the kind of fan ownership world and on a lot of these issues kind of had an idea of what this was and how unserious it was or how early in the stage of development, to be kind to them, this model was. And for this to have been in conversation with Metfin and Donald for, you know, getting on for a couple of months and for them to actually not turn around and say, sorry, you know, you, you, you might say you've got the money, but this isn't right for a club the size of Sunderland, I think is wholly irresponsible. And and I think if it was possible for them to go down in my estimations, have gone down in my estimations, and they're at a sub-zero level. Uh, I think you've given them probably a lot of credit they're rich to stick to stick to the word after, you know, two and a bit years. Well, like, yeah, it's intentions, isn't it? You go right. We'll sell up, but you know, it'll only be the right person. That buys you time. That's that's all yeah. we're doing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It wasn't with with great intentions for our future. It was like it's buying us time because we haven't found the right person yet. Right person, yeah. right price. Yeah. Just picking up on what Martin said there earlier, and I think that was a really really good point is that particularly at this stage when we've just got back into the championship after a four-year absence and we could be potentially on the verge of something really exciting because, as you said, Martin, obviously the infrastructure's been improved, the recruitment has undoubtedly improved, which we'll come on to later, despite one or two uh, mishaps along the way. I think it is absolutely imperative, you know, as you said, that Sunderland AFC cannot be used as a test bed for something that is undoubtedly incredibly volatile and it could be built on effectively a bubble which could burst at some point and then everything could really hit the fans. So I'm sure you both agree with me that it is it is imperative that the AFL stand against this. Do you both have confidence that they will? I mean, I know obviously um, on in Davy Brown's article, which was published earlier this week, he used the phrase, hopefully when this has been laughed out of town, which obviously the AFL hopefully will, will, will make sure that it does get laughed out of town. Do you two have confidence in the AFL's processes on this? Because they do have form 
for letting sharks get into the game. Yeah, no, I've got no confidence whatsoever. And I think the um, I'll just go back to a point quickly before I come back to that, Phil. Like the the thing that puzzles me, and I'm sure it puzzles a lot of listeners as well. And I know Rich um, touched on it with with Tom White, but and I think this is actually a, a whole thing that's designed to to force. Um, Kira Louis-Dreyfus's hand because the most sensible thing, logical thing, if you're going to look at this and go, what's going to happen is Kira Louis-Dreyfus puts his hand in his back pocket and buys the shares out because there's no other logical scenario that would explain what, what's going on here because somebody's trying to force somebody's hand. The logical step is KLD buys it. There's you know potentially a dispute about valuations or, or whatever it might be. And I think this is kind of designed. You, you could tell with a statement that was put out by the club by, by Kira Louis-Dreyfus last week. Him and Sartori are very much aligned, which has always been the assumption because Sartori was influential in bringing um, KLD in, in here in the first place. So I think, you know, th- there is an element of that. And hopefully, like, you know, fingers crossed, uh, looking at it from, from my removed position, like everybody else is, you know, apart from people like Rich, who's, who've delved into it a lot, I hope that happens. In terms of the EFL doing their job, absolutely no confidence whatsoever. You know, we... Um, we, I don't think anybody's ever had confidence in the EFL or the Football League before them of doing the right thing or the logical thing. And it's funny because I was, um, you know, we do the on on this day articles on on the website every every day, and I was researching one back from 1990 when Swindon um, had beaten us in the playoff final. They got promoted, but financial irregularities meant that they um, were, were demoted to to the third division or the second division as it was third division. That's right. Um, and it was in that midpoint between that decision about Swindon being demoted was announced and before we were named as the, the team that would go up. And there was some analysis in the newspaper I was looking at. And the, the journal, I think it was Paul Nunn from, from the journal, was looking at each team. There was Sheffield Wednesday, um, Newcastle and, and Sunderland who had a claim to go up. And his, you know, he looked at every team's claim. In the Sunderland section, he said, you know, logically, because we've got the playoff system in place, blah, 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 the logical decision for the Football League to make is to put Sunderland up. However, when can we rely on the Football League to make a logical decision? <laughs> and that just rang so true. Yes. From, you know, what we're we talking, 32 years later. And we still cannot rely on the EFL. And we've seen so many cases of bad ownership being allowed in. We've seen Wigan being sold as allegedly settler gambling debt. We've seen yeah. Berry. We've seen all sorts of things that the EFL have just waved along. And my big concern is this comes on their table. We, they go, I have not got a clue about this world. I do not understand this model, but it's got fan ownership in, so it must be all right. Let's go through because it's not a majority shareholding; it's a minority shareholding in the grand scheme of things. Let's get go. Let go through because what's the worst that can happen? And I think only by us standing up and shouting about it and raising attention, raising concerns, will we get them thinking. Maybe we should have a look into this because you know yes. you've got people behind it who've gone bankrupt, who've had loads of companies who haven't haven't survived. It's dodgy, and like the EFL need to to look into it deeply and hopefully by the stuff that um, is being raised in the media, they, they will be um, prompted to do so. Absolutely. You, re- you want to make another point on the back of that, Rich? Yeah, it, it's really, to, to follow up on that, Martin, you're absolutely right, and it, it's a really good point, the fact that this isn't a full takeover, probably, especially with all of the other things that they've got to deal with at the minute, Derby County in particular, where, to be fair to them, they haven't let the transfer of shares go through because they're not assured that the money is there. I don't know whether that's for the, the upfront sale or the ongoing 
financing of the club. But that's the other aspect of this that I wanted to talk about is the ongoing financing of the club. And just to be clear, even if they've got the money to buy the shares, they need money to be able to invest in the club. They need to fit in with the kind of the investment plan um, of Kirilou Dreyfus and, and Juan Satori. There's a lot of work that needs doing, not just on the squad, but on the stadium, on you know the match day experience. Absolutely. There's loads of areas of the club, like club shop, merchandise, that this ongoing, if this rumbles on for, for much longer, is going to affect. You know, we haven't got any transfers to talk about. We wanted to talk about, oh, you know, looks like we're going to sign X, Y, or Z. We haven't got anything like that to talk about. We haven't got anything, you know, renovations at the stadium to talk about, which would be, which would be lovely. We haven't even, you know, got a new mural on the concourse to talk about. Nothing of any note. And what I don't want is this to, to drag on where it's going to be, you know, another four weeks and we're going to be getting towards the start of the EFL season and the, the we're still on this. And again, that's for, for Donald and Methven to show some um, morality. I don't know if I'm asking a bit much on that, yeah. but uh, and, then, and then on the EFL, yeah, I, I just can't... Uh, I can't have confidence, but... The the only thing I would say is I think Wigan was possibly the last their last chance to really balls up and they balls up and yes the Crouch report came out they've got the IRF the the independent regulator for English football looming over them and the and the the government supposedly going to put a white paper out um soon to legislate for regulation and if they don't want to have all of their power taken away from them completely, they can't muck up what is the biggest club in the EFL. And and I think that's the, the final part I made. I don't know, it was made in an article as well, that Kira Louis-Dreyfus is the chairman of the biggest club in the EFL. Yeah. And if the chairman of the biggest club in the EFL doesn't have significant influence... Um, over this process, I wonder what the point of the EFL is. So uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I think you know, it was the end of my ranting about this. <laughs> Don't know if I have anything else I need to or want to say. Really, sorry, Martin. I just saw you raise your hand there. Did you want to add something on the back of that? Yeah, as no, well? I just think like, that that points that um, you know I'm, I'm sure in the short term concerns every supporter. It's like what impact this has on us in our preparation for next season. You know, we we know absolutely. From, um, information that's been released previously that there's an agreement that everybody puts in pro rata what their shareholding is to to stabilize the club to buy players to what invest in the club and all that sort of stuff and you know you, you'd hopefully think that there is a, an agreement okay well we're in talks with this to sell our shares but that investment that we put in now will be taken off the sale price or or whatever it is but my big concern is this is stagnating everything that we need to do this summer. And mm-hmm. like, yes. make no mistake about it, this is a big, big, big summer for us. Oh, it's massive. And we need to get it right. And you know, we'll come on to talk about some transfer things and some other, other bits and pieces. But my huge concern in the short term about this is the impact it has on our ability to go out and buy players, to offer new contracts, to do X, Y, and Z. Because you know, you, there's a potential that a lot of things are on hold until this is resolved and realistically whichever way it goes and whoever comes in or doesn't come in it's going to take a while to sort out yeah i think clarity is needed definitely would you agree with that as well rich clarity 
certainly. I think clarity is going to be really important because, you know, there's been some talk about Alex Neal being quite demanding, quite yes. rightly, about kind of what he's going to need for the squad. And Melry as well, to be frank. Uh, I would always get that in. But, you know, she needs backing as well in her transfers. And while this goes on, that's all up in the air. The other, the other thing I would add into the conversation is maybe a, a potential answer to what Martin raised about why KLD hasn't yet taken the shares. There's an element where, you know, again, it's not just the share price, it's the ongoing investment. And if he was to be at essentially 80%, then he'd be responsible, or his fa- him and his family would re- be responsible for 80% of the costs yes. rather than 40% of the costs. So it doubles his ongoing investment, not just the purchase price and it doubles his ongoing risk as well uh, and his liability so i think doubles the opportunity though doesn't it oh it doubles the opportunity certainly but yes where's the opportunity to make profit in english football it's at the bottom of the premier league if you're going to go up and down or it's at the top of the premier league if you're going to win yeah but but surely that's that's his aim for, for us isn't it it's to get us back to that you know bottom third of the premier league but then you know I mean, we maybe get a lot ahead of ourselves now. Is there an acceptable? You know, we've seen it with Newcastle. We've seen it probably with us in the in the mid twenty tens. Is is it really acceptable for Sunderland fans to be losing seventy percent of games and struggling to to stay up every season in the Premier League and bouncing up and down between yeah, the leagues as as a way of making money? To me, what's puzzling about that whole scenario, right, is. The valuation of the club and the shares, and I, I know that that, that price of 11.7 or whatever it was, will have changed based on our, our championship status. But you look at the valuation on clubs like Sheffield United recently, like it's it's a completely different ballpark to what they're talking about for valuation for, for Sunderland. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you go up into the Premier League, the valuation of the club is, is significantly different, isn't it? So, like, it smacks to me of him not being all in. It's him taking a punt. And being involved, he likes football, likes the, the sports business, and he's not fully in. And you, know, the money with either him or his trust fund or his family is undoubtedly there to do whatever he wanted with Sunderland. It, it kind of raises questions about his intentions. Is he serious about it, or is he just here for a, a bit of a ride? And we'll we'll find out the answer. Yeah, I think it's a very good point that you both make there. You know, I mean, I think Dreyfus could be on the verge of something special here as custodian of this football club. You know, there's, there's mm-hmm. absolutely no doubt about that whatsoever. Um, you know, and he was on the balcony at Wembley, as we saw, we know, when we won the playoff final against Wickham with 45,000 Sunderland fans there. And, you know, that should have really inspired him to kind of, you know, grasp the netter and understand what he could be on, on, on the brink of here. I think just to, just to sum this up, then I think we can all agree that this is something that everybody should be extremely cautious of, to, to say the very least. And let's hope that if it does progress, that the AFL does put the barrier up and make sure that this is blocked, stopped, and that responsible people can come in and take the, that stakeholding in the football club to make sure that you know when Donald and Methvin do finally leave, that whoever comes in to replace them does have the financial clout to move forward. Would we? Would we all agree on that? Oh yeah, hundred percent. And you know, from my point of view, I'm sure everybody else listening to this will agree. The most important thing is we get the right people in for the long term of the club. We've got to have the right um, ambition for the club. We've got to have the right intentions. And you know, going back to what we said earlier, it can't be an experiment. Yeah. You know, we are not in a position mm-hmm. as a club to be used as a you know a testing ground or a test tube. Like we've got to get the right people in who are going to do the right thing. And 
I'm completely biased, but if you're looking at it, if you had a spare 11 odd million or 20 million or 100 million, it's a good it's a good club to get involved with. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think we've gone quite deeply into that to start with this morning. I just wanted to move it on. We mentioned transfer business earlier in the podcast and uh, an interview that came out yesterday with from Christian Speakman uh, regarding, uh, he said it was vindication. The transfer business last season was vindicated by promotion. He said that we need to find a balance and that there was obviously the fan complaints that there was too much youth and inexperience in the team, but that was proven to be the right approach when we got promoted. Just wanted to start with you on this one, Rich. We know Speakman is a forward thinker. He's a very much a modern football executive. Do you think he has a point there or do you think he was kind of bailed out to a certain extent when they hired Alex Neal to replace Lee Johnson? I mean, he did hire Alex Neal to replace Lee Johnson, so he's got to be given credit yeah. for that. Look, as with anyone's performance in a job, it's not going to be perfect. There's going to be things that you can learn from. It's whether he can learn from them. We we know that we were probably left short in two departments, and thankfully we managed we managed to get through that period with Ross Stewart not picking up an injury. And I think that's like it could, it does come down to the fact that Ross Stewart stayed fit for the for the season that we weren't exposed in in the forward area and and the lack of cover there that Bailey Wright stayed fit at the back and we weren't exposed for the lack of cover there but we were only a couple of unfortunate tackles away from being really short in two key departments so that's got to be taken on board we also know that there's a they obviously went for some some people in January that they they weren't able to secure and and they had to change manager at the last minute and that was clearly not exactly what was needed. The Defoe gamble is the big negative point on that kind of whole transfer window, which was a critical transfer window. And it was a gamble. It maybe had some commercial considerations hanging behind it and it didn't work. Uh, I don't think that's Jermaine Defoe's fault necessarily. Any Anyone offered a, a decent wedge of money to play football for a few months is going to take it. Yes. Um, I don't think it should colour our view of, of Jermaine, who's been a, a great pro over the years. I just think in terms of Speakman, you know, he's done the job and and hopefully his bosses will be assessing his performance and putting points to him where he, he can make improvements. What was your take on Speakman's comments there, Martin? Because I don't know if you have a chance to read the interview uh, that he gave with the Chronicle yesterday. It was an article written by James Hunter. Do you think he has a point? Do you think that the transfer business was vindicated? Because as you mentioned earlier on, you know there was a lot of improvement made to the infrastructure of the club last summer. You know, for years we had a scattergun recruitment policy in League One, didn't we? You know, we were bringing in players on short-term loans, on freeze. There was no real rhyme or reason to it, and. I think, personally, there is rhyme and reason to our transfer business now. And in that sense, I, th- I think you'd have to say Speakman's done a good job in that regard. Do you agree with that? Do you think that's a fair point? It's an interesting one, isn't it? it you know, I actually had a conversation with um, a friend of mine today about this, just in a general work sense, rather than Sunderland and Speakman sense. And it's kind of, how, how do you judge people, right, in, in, in work, which essentially for, for Speakman this is, right? Is it outcome or output? His task was to build a a squad and management structure to get Sunderland out of League One, which he's done. So, tick, he's been successful in that. I think he's attracted a lot of criticism for January. And I think the majority of it 
is down to that gap between Lee Johnson leaving and Alex Neal being appointed. Yes. And I think because of that, the transfer business that we, we did without a manager in place on deadline day comes under scrutiny because we, we'd left a lot of things to the last minute. And obviously Defoe came in and you can read all he wanted into the, the effect of Lee Johnson's departure on, on that transfer taking place to start with. Tom Flanagan leaving, which I don't think Lee Johnson would have, have sanctioned. And I think, you know, we, we 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 actually did good business in January. <laughs> Roberts came in, Clark came in, Matetia came in. And, you know, to, to one extent or another, all three of them had been influential in our run-in in the last third of a season, once especially Clark and Roberts um, got up to speed. I've got a slightly different um, opinion on, on Defoe because I think Defoe let Speakman down massively. Because to me, if you're Jermaine Defoe and you sign a contract for the end of the season, you stick it out. And, you know, the whole thing about, oh, look, I'm, I'm going to retire to give Nathan Broadhead a chance, which is effectively what he said, is complete and utter bollocks. And to see him walking around with Harry Kane going, oh, I could still play now. It's just... Yeah. Crap, right? Now, I think Defoe has really tainted his legacy at Sunderland by that. And, you know, I, I loved Defoe in, in his first spell. And, you know, when he signed, I had visions of him coming off the bench at Wembley, being part of that playoff winning squad, or even better, you know, scoring the goal that took us up automatically. And that yeah. could have been his legacy, which would have been tremendous. And now it, it's tainted, however you, you want to look at it. But I think to, to your point, Phil, which I think is, is correct. Our transfer business has been very strategic with a long, medium to long-term view in mind. And you look at people like Roberts and Clark, if we were thinking short-term, we wouldn't have brought them in because they weren't physically in a position to do anything for four, six weeks. They needed the, the training, they needed a couple of reserve games to get up to speed. And we saw yes. that at the end of the season where Clark and Roberts really hit the straps coming in, into the playoffs. And, you know, I think... The more that we can take that long-term view as a club with managerial appointments, with coaching appointments, with, with player recruitment, the better we'll be. So I think I kind of look at speaking in, in, in two parts. You've got the transfer thing, which I've actually got no problem with. You know, at, at the end of the year, look, I, I think you could, you could argue the toss over whether we should have kept Flanagan or not, argue the toss over whether we should have kept Denver Hume. I don't think anybody would say either of those two players would be a, a part of the medium to long-term future of the club. But... For those few months, we probably could have done them hanging around the squad just in case there was an injury. I think the, the biggest criticism I would have of them is that gap that it took to appoint Alex Neal. And, you know, yes. you, you've got to be cynical in football and you've got to be having conversations with the right people to get the right, the right things happening in place. If mm-hmm. you're going to change your manager, you've got somebody who's primed to, to come in. I think you know, he'll learn from that. And, and to me, that's the biggest thing because Christian Speakman is now, what, 18 months into a job? which yes. he's never done before. And he's going to make mistakes. He's going to be learning. But if we think he's the right person for the long term, which Kirill Louis-Dreyfus obviously does at this point, then you, you've got to take it. And I think you know I am far more comfortable as a supporter looking at it, going, well, okay, you can kind of see the logic in these signings. You can see the logic in this. We saw last summer, there was hell on, wasn't it? People were kicking up a fuss because we hadn't brought signings in. And yeah, it's, it's dead easy to buy players. You could buy anybody, you could pay over the odds, you could get somebody in from wherever if you want to just have people in the changing rooms, people on the pitch. But getting the right players is a far more difficult process. And I'm, I'm confident that we've done that last summer. I'm confident that we've done that in January. 
And, you know, that gives me confidence that this summer, we've not seen the transfer in yet for, for first team, but I'm confident that we will take the right approach if everything's on a level playing field in the boardroom, that will we'll see us, you know, will see us do well over the, the medium to long term. I think that there's one or two really interesting points to come out with that. The first of which I think is if you look at the all the signings that Speakman has overseen last summer and in January, from my perspective, I think the only real failing, for want of a better word, was Frederick Alves, who didn't really contribute. He looked okay in patches, but he never really got a solid run in the team. If you look at the majority of the signings that have been overseen by Speakman over the past two transfer windows, most of them have made sizable contributions. Alex Pritchard, for example, really, really good effective signing. Callum Doyle, really, really good early season. He had a bit of a dip, but then he, he you know, he, he got a few appearances under Alex Neal. So I think you have to say that Speakman, you know, it was mixed very much. And I think maybe the balance was tilted a little bit too far in favour of youth. Just a shade. Not too much, but just a shade. And... I think that obviously affected us over the winter when the likes of Dennis Serkin were being overplayed and you could see the form was dipping, etc., etc., etc. But I think what you what you said there, Martin, about um, the, the managerial change, I think was the, probably the one thing about Speakman that I think you have to really hold him accountable for because the pursuit of Roy Keane, obviously when, Alex, when Lee Johnson was fired, they went on a pursuit of Roy Keane. Everybody started to think Keane's coming home, etc., etc., etc. That doesn't happen and Alex Neal comes in. And the perception, I suppose, at the time was, well, we've got second prize. He's not Roy Keane. Is he inspirational? And he's turned out to be probably the best decision that Speakman has made recently. So I think that, you know, as you said, he's done a mixture of both good and bad. Key for me this summer is how he and Alex Neal can work together to really improve this squad and to kind of get it up to championship standard. Because I think we've got a nucleus of a good squad there that needs improvement without any shadow of doubt. But last summer, and if you remember when the buzzword or the phrase was data-driven recruitment, you know, it was data-driven, we're going to bring in players, you know, we're going to really scrutinise, we're not going to buy players for the sake of it. And the longer that went on when we didn't bring players in, that became kind of a millstone around Speakman's neck. It eventually mm-hmm. it eventually bore fruit, you know, as, as we saw. And I suspect they'll probably take a similar approach this summer. I mean, if you look at Ipswich last summer, for example, they went all in they put together a team of what was in theory kind of a championship all-star squad, you know, really good players on paper, and they didn't get promoted. So, it, you know, there's different approaches to that. But, yeah, I, I think the point you made earlier on, Martin, about, you know, the mixture of good and bad that Speakman's done, I think is absolutely valid. Just um, looking at potential signings this summer, which makes for a nice little segue here. Obviously, uh, last week, uh, John Ruddy was linked with, with Sunderland, recently released by Wolves in my opinion, would be a decent backup for Anthony Patterson. What do you think about that, Rich? Do you think he could be an option for us? Yeah, certainly. Obviously, we need, we definitely need another keeper at the club. We need, probably need another two keepers at the club. Yeah. Whether he'd be backup, whether he'd come in as a backup from dropping down from the, the Prem to the Championship, we'll see. Um, that will be a conversation, obviously, for Alex Neil to have alongside and I think just to skip back to your previous point you could give credit to Stuart Harvey and the the recruitment team as well absolutely alongside Speakman it's a conversation for those to have uh experienced player Alex Neal knows him would be I think a very sensible choice just to bring into the club even if it was yeah as a as backup but also as somebody who can work with David Priest and work with Anthony Patterson to just improve the goalkeeping department overall because we know that goalkeepers bounce off each other and learn from one another. So I, I think that, yeah, that would be a really sensible move. I wouldn't have any 
qualms about that transfer. Yeah, and obviously, uh, Martin, you mentioned uh, earlier this morning you saw another player had been linked uh, with us, Daniel Everson, I believe. Yeah, Everson, Leicester goalkeeper, been on loan. Uh, he had a spell at Rotherham. He had a he's had a couple of seasons at Preston. I think Alex Neal brought him into Preston. Yeah. He, he won their Player of the Year um, award this season. He played against us at the Stadium of Light a couple of years ago for Rotherham and saved a, a penalty from, from McGeady. So whether, well, look, as Rich said, we, we need probably two goalkeepers to come in this yeah. summer. I think the interesting bit of the conversation is whether that's as backup to Anthony Patterson, whether he starts as first choice next season or whether we bring people in who can compete for that first team place and it's kind of like, okay, there's your two or three who are going to battle it out. The the one who who starts on on the first day of the season is the one who who is impressed the most in, in preseason. And look, I think Patterson did fantastically well in the the last few months of the season. I think he improved quite significantly over the games he played. Mm-hmm. I must admit, and it's probably an unpopular opinion, but I would not be. 100% confident with him starting the season as absolutely clear first choice. I think we need some very good competition to, to come in, to challenge him, to push him. And if he starts as first choice, but there's a really good keeper on the bench, I'm fine with. But if we brought in either somebody who is just there to sit on the bench or a really young keeper, I would be concerned if we were hedging all of our bets on him playing the full season to the standard he played the last um, the last few weeks of the season, certainly. Well, on the subject of goalkeepers, obviously another news story that was on the agenda this week, rather unfortunately so, was that of Thorben Hoffman, who obviously was on loan at Sunderland last season, has now gone back to Germany. And an interview that he gave with Bild, the publication in his home country in Germany, regarding uh, his treatment after being diagnosed with COVID, which is made for quite an uncomfortable read, I have to say. What was your take on that, Rich? Um, it was obviously, you went in depth about it uh, regarding what had happened to him. What was your view on that? Because obviously there was there were quite a few cynics saying that, well, he was just trying to save face because he lost his place to Patterson and he's made up a COVID story to kind of just, you know, try and get himself off the hook. What did you think about that one? Oh, I have no reason to doubt his version of events. Yeah. Um, I, I I don't know the truth of it, to be, to, to be frank, other than what's, than what he said, but obviously the club came out with a, a very vociferous and and clear statement that they they think there are inaccuracies in what he said. Whether it's one of those things where there's a problem with translation, I'm not entirely sure. You know, as somebody who suffered with COVID and post COVID fatigue myself for a few months, it's horrible, and you can feel like you're all right one day or even half of one day and then the brain fog hits you lose concentration so all of the things that he was describing as as his symptoms were very familiar to me and that kind of that drive to want to get back to work and not actually being able to is definitely something that I can sympathize with but I don't re- I don't have anything more to add to what the club and Hoffman have said I'm sure that um, lawyers will be involved uh, to one to one uh, extent or another uh, here because you know it's a, it's an accusation a quite a serious accusation yes and I don't really have much to add to it beyond what's been said and and my own personal experience of kind of COVID fatigue yeah and do you do you have anything more to add on that one Martin I mean it, it, it hopefully it doesn't blow up into something nasty and you know bitter between club and ex player but you never know how these things can pan out do you so oh like 
who knows what the actual the truth is there and you know Hoffman has has all season been doing a, a column in Germany about his time at, mm-hmm. at Sunderland and you know yes. that that was obviously to get his reputation in Germany up he's you know doing a regular column to get media interest yeah um he's obviously you know presumably there's some money there to be paid for for a column and i think there's probably a bit of reputation salvaging going on after you know he, he, if you look at it just on, on face value, he played the 6-0 at, at Bolton and was never seen again. Mm-hmm. We, yeah. we had the, the clause in his contract that apparently if he played another game, we would have had to sign him if, if um, we went up, which I think Alex Neal denied knowing about and denied his selection was based upon that, but you don't know where the, the line is with that. And you also know that our medical record going back for a few years with Alves and all sorts of stuff, hasn't always been great. So, you know, who knows where the truth lies? As, as Rich said, you know, there's potentially a, a loss in translation aspect there with being slightly positive. The validity of different tests come into question and all sorts of things. And, you know, who knows? It's it's just a, a sorry, unnecessary end to what was actually quite a, a decent, useful loan signing. Yeah. And it's just, you know, as well as all of the takeover talk, just another thing that we didn't need, don't need, right now going into a, a new season where there should be an awful lot of hope and optimism of what the uh, next 12 months hold. Absolutely. Well, I wanted to end um, on an upbeat note, so I think we will. Um, obviously, last week we got the news that season ticket sales had gone past the 28,000 mark, um, which I thought was absolutely fantastic. Obviously, optimism is still really, really building for the return of the championship. Do you think, but I'll throw this question to you both, do you think that the current situation regarding the ownership will deter people from buying season tickets or renewing, or do you think people will show some faith in what's going on at the club and continue to uh, buy their tickets regardless? I'll start with you on that one, Rich. I think you know that there's been a lot of talk over the past kind of six months or so, so people not renewing, or people boycotting. Yes. As soon as as soon as a bit of positivity comes in through some. Some signings and some, uh, and obviously the the promotion given a massive boost. I think there's loads of reasons for people to to renew or to to purchase new season tickets. I think it's great that you know there was a lot of people stepped away from the club when it was just a depressing place to to go on a Saturday afternoon. Yeah. Um, a lot of people, you know, in and around Sunderland when I would visit, say, "Oh, I used to go, but I don't go. I won't go in League One." which I don't understand because I follow my team through thick and thin. But it's understandable if you're a casual fan and you're going to see some, you know, you're interested in the quality of football, which hasn't always been great in League One, especially from the opposition. So I think uh, I think it will keep rolling on. I think there's loads of benefits that come with the season card this time. Yeah. So you get in to see the 23s and uh, Sunderland women at Eppleton. It's, you know, it's a whole club season card you don't need to go and buy a Sunderland women season card yeah. uh, to get in at Ableton I think that's a really big thing as well for for both squads really it just gives uh, more value to the to the season card so I think there's loads of reasons to put your money into the club in that sense and and it, you know <laughs> going right back in a full circle if if fans are going to put their money into the club 
the best way to do it at the minute is to is to is to buy a season card and show your support in the stadium because we saw against Sheffield Wednesday what that can do uh, in terms of driving driving the lads forward. Yeah. Do you agree with that, Martin? Do you think it's good to see the sales continue to go upwards and hopefully they continue to do so as we get closer to the new season? No, of course it isn't. Look, the the ownership thing is a distraction. I I think as a group of of three here in this conversation, I think we're probably a lot more aware of all of that than a lot of people are just because we've been talking about it a lot and you know rich has been delving in with them um, the help of, of davy as well and i think you know ultimately season ticket sales will, will be impacted over the next few weeks about you know what happens with alex neil what happens with transfers coming in and if we can build on that momentum with with um, additions to the squad and all that sort of stuff then we, we'll see those, those numbers continue to rise and you know it's brilliant no you, you can't question the loyalty of of Sunderland supporters can you like we we've been through the last four years and to have the the semi-final crowd to have the the final crowd it's it's just fantastic but I think you know the the only thing I would say as a as a criticism is I think the the club have let the momentum of Wembley die down in terms of promoting and marketing yeah they could be selling oh they could be doing loads more it's almost like they've gone right Wembley brilliant we've won let those sales tick over. Let the website go. We'll have a few weeks off. Couldn't agree and, with that more. Like to me, yes, people deserve holidays, all that sort of stuff. But they've they've really lost that momentum. You saw the the promotion and the the visuals that we saw for the semi final. Yeah. Everything in terms of how that was marketed was, was superb. And I thought, right, we've actually got our act back together off the field because there's been a load of things going on off the field that haven't been great. But we we've let that momentum just wane out, fizzle out. And it's um, it's something I think the club should and could be doing more for. Yeah, I agree. You wanted to make another point on there, Rich? Yeah, just one more thing on that. I was reading through the the minutes of Red and White Army meeting that kind of got lost in the pre-Wembley uh, hype and, and quite rightly, yeah. nobody wanted to be thinking about that. But the club made a point in that, which I have to disagree with, which is, you know, you can't change everything all at once, etc. The club has got to start being able to do more than one thing at a time. Absolutely. Like it seems like th- th- there's just a a base level of capacity there in terms of staffing, where if there's something going on, a concert at the stadium of light, they can't yeah. promote season tickets. You know, it's like that kind of underlying lack of capacity to do more than one thing. Yeah, is something that's got to be sorted. If you look at the, you know Premier League clubs. Top level championship clubs, they're able to do that because they've got the capacity across the across their organisation to actually kind of handle, you know, launching a kit at the same time as selling season tickets, at the same time as buying players, at the same time as dealing with an ownership yeah. battle going on in the background. You can't get distracted from the fact that they've got to build this business and build this club back up to where it should be. Absolutely. And the presumption is that it's capacity, isn't it? But like we don't know. And it could just be attitude. It could be the general standard that's, that's set within within the club. Like You just don't know what, what's going on. Who's in charge of marketing, like overall well, at, a, at, a, at a board level? I don't think we have a marketing director. I think Davison's in charge of all the off-field stuff, isn't he? But whether that falls under his remit or, or what, you, you don't know. And look, we're kind of guessing in, in those respects, aren't we? But if, if we are serious about maximising this and really revving it up, 
there's got to be more done off the field to to get people engaged with the club. I mean, I think as you mentioned there, Martin, you know that the 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 till the end branding that was being used in the run up to the playoffs was absolutely fantastic. It oh, really struck, it struck yeah. a chord, you know, and you know they, they got that really really well. And I like the you know they're using the phrase just the start now um, to, to to promote season tickets. It's great. It's all good stuff. But I think. As Rich said, they've got to put their shoulders to the wheel here. It's not just going to happen automatically. I think they've really got to make an effort to reach out to supporters who maybe are just hedging, maybe on the fence a little bit. Here, something special is happening here. We want you to be part of it. Come back type of thing. So, yeah, I think it's a really interesting point. Um, just before we go, um, obviously, as everyone knows, Martin is in Australia and he had a rather epic journey uh, to the Northern Hemisphere for the playoff final. Um which I promised him we would touch on in this podcast, um, and he's looking at me. I with, thought I got away with it. Yeah, he's man. looking at me with eyes like daggers at the moment. Um, <laughs> so, would you like to pick that up, Martin, before we go and explain yeah. to the listeners exactly uh, what happened and how how it actually unfolded for you? No, I need I need therapy. Um, <laughs> well, flew from Australia to, to Heathrow for a few a few days on the bays and to to go to the game, and um, yeah, well. I flew on, on the first leg of the flight. The, the fella sat next to me got off because he was ill um, at Darwin, which should have set alarm bells ringing. But yeah, landed Heathrow. Didn't feel too um, too great, and yeah, had COVID. So oh. I, I spent the the week. Well, I, I was only supposed to be there for four days. I ended up having about eight days in England, and I flew twenty seven hours, sixteen thousand kilometers to watch the game on television, which it was on in the right time zone. Which is a tick in that box. Um, it, 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 you know, I was able to see with my um, my mum and dad, which was was very nice to spend a week with them by by myself without the kids in tow and all that sort of stuff, and got looked after and got some home cooking. So you know, I'm I'm clinging to the positives, but I have to say, I know you you lads have watched the match back and back and back and back. I cannot bring myself to watch anything. Oh. Because I am still really upset by the whole thing, and yeah. it's my it was my it was my first trip for three years back home, mm. and it'll probably be another couple of years before I can get back over to watch a game. I'd saved up money to to come to a game on you know whatever game that might be, and obviously the playoff final was the the perfect um, one. And yeah, I, I guess it's, it's a risk you take. It's the way the world at the moment, but yeah, I got I got tickets. Um, Chris Wynn and I got tickets together with my, my parents and Rich. I know you got tickets very close by, so I was looking forward to um, having the, having a beer and having the crack with, with everybody. But yeah, that was it. So yes, I, I flew all that way to sit at home and um, watch the game on television. Well, I promised we would end on, a, on an upbeat note, and I think we've done the exact opposite <laughs> with Martin's, with Martin's um, tale of war well, coming from Australia. Well, what, I, what I'd say is it just shows like it's a, it's a good example of like the commitment of all Sunderland fans around the world that if that if we can you know if we've got the capacity if we've got them got the money being saving up that we will like go above and beyond to follow our club and and I oh, think that's a massive definitely. you know there's not many clubs that would have people flying in from all different corners of the the globe for a, a oh a no that, look, that, that's right look, I, I'm certainly not the I'm certainly not the only one who who flew in from here, there, and everywhere. I know lots of people flew in from Southern Hemisphere, from America, from all sorts of places, and, and you know, all, all credit to to everybody. And the only thing I would say is, I was sat there before the match, thinking, you know what, I would obviously much rather 
be in this situation and, and we win, then be at Wembley and we lose. So as long as we bloody win, yeah, yeah. I'm going to have to rationalise that with myself and come to terms with it, and we did. And you know, ultimately, I, I flew over to see us get promoted, and that's what we did. So look, you can't you can't complain that much. Absolutely right. Well, I think that's uh, a good place to end it. Uh, thanks, Martin, and thanks, Rich, for joining us this morning. It's been a really enjoyable podcast. Um, as always, keep your eyes on uh, RokerReport.com. We'll have loads of new material, uh, even though the season's finished. We'll be keep on churning out material. Uh, so do check out the website. And thanks for listening. Catch you all later. fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue also you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states united healthcare short-term insurance plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage for you learn more at uh1.com when you make decisions for your company you look for the no-brainers and if you have a lot of mailing to do stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer it streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient which makes you less busy Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.